Hello and welcome to the Travel Diaries podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Holly Rubenstein. I'm a journalist and editor. And here each week, I'll be speaking to a very special guest about their adventures around the world and the travel experiences and destinations that have shaped their lives. Today, I'm joined by Giles Brandreth. Summing up the life and career of Giles is no easy feat. He's a prolific broadcaster, a journalist, a novelist, a biographer, and a podcaster. And he was formerly an MP and Law Commissioner of the Treasury. Through all these different jobs, he's travelled the world several times over. We talk about the times he visited Sri Lanka, Dubai, former Soviet Russia and East Germany. But as you'll hear, it's the British seaside staycation that Giles loves most. All that and much more coming up on The Travel Diaries. Giles Brandreth, welcome to the Travel Diaries podcast. Thank you so much for being here. How are you? I'm in good form, excited to be with you, excited to go on any journey, even one in a room in the city of London with you. But maybe we're going to go on exciting adventures to other parts of the world. Who knows? Yeah, a meeting room isn't perhaps the most kind of inspiring, evocative place, but I'm... I'm expecting that we'll, well, we'll be transported. I don't know. I, I think you can have a lot of things going on in your head. So I'm a great one for keeping diaries. Uh, and so I, it doesn't matter. I, funnily enough, I like a quiet room. I don't mind a meeting room. Cup of tea in a meeting room and happy memories and I'm happy. Let's begin then with chapter one of your travel diaries. And that is your earliest childhood travel memory. Well, in some ways, I was born abroad. Of course, I was born where I was, so I wasn't abroad at the time. But I was born in Germany. Mm -hmm. So people here, oh, born in Wuppertal. Are you German? No. I was born in a British forces hospital after the Second World War. Uh, Germany was divided into uh, different territories run by the British, the French, the Americans, and the Russians. Mm -hmm. I was born in the British sector. My father was a lawyer with the British Army, and they were setting up a kind of justice system in Germany after the war. So I was born at the end of the 1940s in Germany. And I suppose my first vague recollection, I think, is of a beach somewhere called Nordenai. I think I remember that. Mm-hmm. Or it could be that I remember the photograph of that. Mm. I don't know. But when I came back to Britain in the early 1950s, my first travel memories are undoubtedly seaside. Right. Broadstairs. Oh, great. I love the British seaside. And it went through a bit of a down. It's now up again. I spent much of my childhood that I remember somewhere called the Isle of Thanet. It's on Mm -hmm. the Kent coast. Right. Broadstairs, Ramsgate, Margate. And I was taken there because my father had been taken there when he was a little boy. And he was born in 1910. And I think he went there because his father had been there 30 years before. So it's a sort of heritage place. And Victorian families used to go to Broadstairs. Mm. Charles Dickens, Mm -hmm. the great British writer, David Copperfield, Christmas Carol, all of those. He used to go to Broadstairs. In fact, there's a plaque on one of the houses in Broadstairs that says Charles Dickens did not stay here because he (laughs) stayed in so many places and they all have plaques saying that that's where he stayed. And still for me, the English seaside, and it was, there was a sandy beach at Broadstairs, there was Punch and Judy, there were donkey rides, and it introduced me to the world of entertainment because Uh there was a, uh, uh, there's a small pier there, 
I'm, I'm now one of the patrons of the National Peer Society, celebrating seaside peers oh, uh, around the UK. But there was a little peer there, and there was a, uh, a theatre called the Pavilion on the Sands, mm-hmm. where a lovely man had a band, an orchestra, and he was called Cecil Barker. And he played the violin and conducted his band, and I performed as a child with him three times a week, children's night, novelty night, carnival night. So during the summer holidays, even as a child, I was a bit of a performer. So those are my travels as a child. It's the seaside broadstairs. And did you continue that taking your children there? No, because I think by the time my children, children, I have two children and, no, three children and seven grandchildren. So when my children were small, the world had changed and you didn't go if you were British, necessarily for a British seaside holiday. Mm-hmm. You took them abroad. Mm-hmm. So when they were small, we used to go, I think, principally to Corfu, mm. the Greek island of Corfu. I went to a fascinating school. I was very, I've been blessed all my life. When I was a child, came back from Germany, I went to a French school, the French Lycée mm-hmm. in London. So as a child, I was sent off on holiday on my own a lot right. to France and to Switzerland to get my French up to speed. It was already good. And the first time I went abroad on my own was, I was, wait for this, I was six years of age. Wow. So and, independent from a very young age. Well, I was made to be independent. My yeah. parents just took me and dumped me. And they, they gave you a little tag you could hang around your neck, you know, unaccompanied minor. And you were looked after by what were then called air stewardesses. Mm-hmm. They were all ladies in those days, mm-hmm. wearing very smart uniforms. And I was sent to Switzerland where my parents assumed... I'd be able to get on because I would speak French. But they sent me to the German-speaking part of Switzerland. Wow. So that was a bit traumatizing. Mm. So as a child, I would go to France, and I love France, and I still go to France. I have a a little flat in Paris, which I call a a pomme de terre because it's not big enough to be a pied à terre. And I still have got a reasonably good French accent. Oh, je sais pas. Salut les copains. But I can't, my vocabulary is not as good as it was. I was great at French when I was a small boy. Not so good as the years went by. It's faded a bit. So to answer your question, when my children, we took them away, we took them to Corfu. Chapter two is the first place that you fell in love with. I don't think actually there's a better holiday than an English seaside town. And over the years, I've got to know so many of them through my enthusiasm for peers. The north of England, I love Blackpool. Mm-hmm. I love all that. Lancashire, the Lancashire coast is sensational. Go to somewhere like Morecambe, the seaside there is fantastic. So the truth is, I don't think, uh, just to be difficult, I don't think there's anywhere I have been where I have not fallen in love with the place. Mm-hmm. First place I fell in love with, I suppose, was France. As a child, I was fixated by Joan of Arc. She was my first heroine. Wow. I know we have to call her a hero now, but she was, to me, a heroine. I just thought, oh, you're amazing. I love France because I went to the Lycée. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and as I, I got a little flat there now. So France, probably. Mm. I just love the food. I, I still can smell the hot milk that we were served for breakfast. Hot milk and um, bread, a baguette, uh, and with the baguette, salted butter and pieces of chocolate. That was wonderful. 
And you've been on Countdown's Dictionary Corner hundreds of times. I loved reading that you're the president of the Association of British Scrabble Players. And of course, you now host your own very successful podcast. Something kind to mention it. Rhymes with Something Purple. Something Rhymes with Purple, which is all about words and language. So um, that obviously shows your love of language in so many ways. And now we're looking at your beautiful new book, which I was having a read of last night and really loving it, Dancing by the Light of the Moon, which celebrates words one more time this time in poetry. Are you into poetry? Do you have poems in your head? I do. In fact, at school we were made to learn them. So actually going through um, the book was quite nostalgic. Ones like um, Matilda told such dreadful lies. You know, I remember that we had to recite in our English classes and it's a bit of a lost art, isn't it? Well, yes and no. That's a Hilaire Belloc cautionary mm. tale and in Dancing by the Light of the Moon there are sort of 300 poems including lots of those from one's childhood going back to Edward Lear and A.A. A. Milne but coming right forward to the insta poets and the more modern people like mm. Simon Armitage the, the new poet laureate people have poems in the rattlebag of their mind and you're right it isn't taught in schools as much as it used to be but one of the interesting things but, but it is popular again poetry is coming back and I think we live in troubled times and some perhaps people find poetry soothing. It, it is com- soothing. But really, the reason the book came about, and thank you f- for liking it, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to hold, isn't it? It is, it's gorgeous. Is that I, I was banging on last year to someone about how I love poetry and poetry is good for you. And you said, we said, well, I know you feel it's good for you, but can you prove it? And I ended up at Cambridge University at the Memory Laboratory there where I discovered, and this is fact, Two very interesting things. One is that if you are a baby in the womb or in newborn and you have somebody speaking poetry to you on a regular basis before you're born and soon after you're born, the rhythm of spoken word will enable you in due course to speak more clearly uh, and better and sooner, to write better and sooner and to read better and sooner. It's all to do with the rhythms. Wow. Isn't that amazing? So that's clinically... It's clinically established. All the the stuff, all the details is online and indeed in my book. This is from the Memory Lab. But that's at one end of the spectrum. So learning poetry by heart, speaking it to newborn and pre-born, prenatal children. Actually, it's got to be poetry with rhythm in it. It's the rhythm that does it. Mm -hmm. Shakespeare is, funny enough, the ambic pentameter in Shakespeare is the same rhythm as the beat of your heart. It's called learning by heart for a reason. The stuff we can learn by heart easily is that stuff that has the rhythm. But more interesting still for somebody of my vintage and maybe for some of our jet-set listeners travelling across the world is that by learning poetry by heart, you can keep the synapses, the brain cells, working better for longer. You Mm -hmm. can actually delay dementia. You can keep dementia at bay through learning because what is the brain? It's a muscle. If you don't use it, you lose it. Uh, But if you do, and you can go on learning things to a good old age. The hippocampus is a part of the brain that where memory functions. And if you'll you'll find with the hippocampus, in the hippocampus, as many cells grow in the hippocampus aged 17 or 70. So it's not a function of age. So my, so one of the things I do on a flight, because you can only watch so many movies. You can only read so many long novels. A short poem is a wonderful thing to do on an aeroplane. But the satisfaction of getting on in London and getting off in Dubai, having learnt a sonnet on the way, is amazing. Don't, mi- or don't waste your next flight 
learn a poem on it. And if it's a very short hop, if you're just going, you know, uh, London to Guernsey, uh, you can simply do, uh, I'll give you a short poem. Um, there once was a man from Peru whose limerick stopped at line two. <laughs> so however bad you are at learning poetry, you can manage that on even the shortest flight. <laughs> where are we going in the next chapter? Let's pause there, yes, and move on to chapter three, which is the trip where you learn the most about yourself. Undoubtedly the trip when I went to Iceland and Greenland. Oh, wow. I'm not adventurous. I haven't really strayed beyond my childhood, and I'm not very brave. And the truly successful people in life I found are bold. They're bold. They go as far as they can and then a bit further. They dare to break rules. And I don't. I'm quite a conservative with a small C person. But I went to uh, Iceland, which I recommend hugely. Went in the summer, so it was daylight all the day. Ate reindeer. Feel guilty about that now. I'm a veggie, but I did eat reindeer. Poor old Rudolph. I went for a pony trek in Iceland, is the point of the story. Mm-hmm. And I, I, didn't, I didn't have the idea of riding a horse, let alone, I mean, this is a small horse, a pony. But it was so exhilarating going through, and, I, and Iceland's a beautiful part of the world, feeling I was on a runaway pony. It was dangerous. It was exciting. So that's undoubtedly when I learned most, most do something dangerous. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels easier even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do. Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries.
And one of the many, many strings to your bow is that you were a Conservative MP in the 1990s under John Major. I wondered if you were an MP now, would you still be a Tory or would you be crossing the House? Oh, no, I would still be. I mean, it, curiously, being a politician is tribal. I'm above politics now. Mm. Uh, but I would still, of course, uh, be a Conservative if I, w- if I was active. I'm not active. I have a daughter called Afra who is a prospective parliamentary candidate. And oh, wow. whenever Exciting. the next election comes, she will be fighting in that uh, election. I still find politics fascinating. Though curiously, when I was an MP, I didn't do much travelling. A lot of MPs, they love to go, oh, oh yes, is there a trip to the West Indies planned to look at uh, the banana culture in the West Indies and import and export between the West Indies and us? Oh, so I think I, I put me down for that trip. Are we going to business class? Oh, I thought we were, yes. I didn't do any of that. <laughs> a lot of MPs do do a bit of that. I yeah. stuck to my constituency. Yeah. So, no. But politics, do you know, I've had three very happy years because after the referendum, I decided, hmm, this is not going to go well. I sense it. This is not going to go well. So I abandoned politics altogether. And that's when I got stuck into poetry. So while other people have been brooding about Brexit, I've been trying to learn poems by heart. So I think I will live longer and be happier. Good antidote to the to the turmoil. Chapter four is your all-time favourite destination. My all-time favourites are where I last went to. That's one of the reasons. That's that lovely. That shows that you've travelled to some wonderful places. I, I've never travelled not to. Every place is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Every experience is fascinating. You meet new types of people. Uh, you see new things. I've never been disappointed in a trip anywhere. And I've been to the Isle of Wight. Actually, I love the Isle of Wight. The Isle of, <laughs> to be honest, the Isle of Wight ferry. I know mm, we may lovely. be talking to people I ju- on I an just aeroplane. did that ferry trip. Actually. It's a lovely ferry trip. Mm. I like going by aeroplane. Uh, uh, probably Sri Lanka. Is your if you're asking, but yeah. it's not my favourite. One of your favourites. I love Sri Lanka. I love India. My mother was born in India. I have a feeling. But the people in Sri Lanka, they're, they're beautiful. I've been to extraordinary places and met extraordinary people. Mm. When I went to Dubai, I went there as the guest of Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid Al Maktoum. And when I got off the aeroplane waiting for me at the bottom of the steps was a white Rolls Royce, which Sheikh Mohammed had lent me for my week stay with him. And I spent a week with Sheikh Mohammed uh, as his guest in Dubai. And he gave me an interview. And it was an extraordinary experience because Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid Al Maktoum, who I admire hugely, who is the ruler of Dubai, as you know, and he is also the foreign minister for the United Arab Emirates, uh, one of the most powerful people in that part of the world. And he entertained me uh, with his entire government in a huge room. All the government sat opposite on chairs. I sat here. He allowed, because my, I asked if my wife could come, my wife came as well. Uh, she was the only woman there. And we had tea. It was served to us. And I drank my tea. And, or rather, I didn't. I sat there, I looked at the tea. I asked him a question. He didn't reply. Uh, I asked him a second question. I thought, it's not a very good interview. He's not replying. I asked him a third. Still no reply. Then I, then I took a sip of my tea and drained the tea, feeling exhausted, and asked the next question. He said, now we have, you have finished your tea, we can talk. And he said, in our country, uh, hospitality dictates we have the refreshment first, then we do the business. And our business is having our conversation, our interview. Hmm. And the other thing I learned from Sheikh Mohammed that day is we rabbited on for about three hours. And I'd run out of questions, but he didn't seem to want to stop the interview. And I said, I've got nothing more to say. He said, oh, I'm so glad. He said, because in our country, I couldn't end the interview. You had to. You are the guest. You will tell me when it is over. So we endured, this poor man endured this long interview. A lesson in social convention. Well, 
That's the fascinating thing about going to another country. And I should have done more homework before going to Dubai and learnt I was going to meet the ruler. Mm -hmm. It was my fault for being a bad guest and not having actually discovered the traditions of the country. He was so courteous. And as I left, he said, I have a present for you. And he clapped his hands and a flunky appeared and then walked backwards. And he gave me this beautiful box wrapped in gold paper. And he said, this is a present for you, but I think your wife would rather have this present. I thought, oh my God, what's it going to be, diamonds? Uh, I said, thank you very much. My wife and I then got back into the white Rolls Royce. He came out, waved us off. The lawn was covered with peacocks. Oh. And I ripped open the paper. There was a beautiful box inside made of ebony. I opened the box. And then inside the box, there was another wrapping. I unwrapped that. And inside, guess what it was? I have no idea. Nor did we. <laughs> it was a book of love poetry written by... Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid Al Maktoum himself. Wow. And translated into English not very well. But I now have a signed <laughs> first edition of Sheikh Mohammed's love poetry. So I have just sent him uh, Dancing by the Light of the Moon yes. because it's my anthology of, yeah. of poems to, to love and to learn. And I thought this man is a wonderful mixture of, because, of course, he races in the United Kingdom. He's got a big racing stable called Godolphin. Mm -hmm. He knows our royal family through racing. It's great respect and affection for the Queen. So he can be very British when he's in Britain. I think he went to Sandhurst. He will understand these English poems. But <laughs> when he gets to his country, he reverts entirely to being, he is bicultural. Mm. as I like to think I am. Mm -hmm. Well, chapter five is your hidden gem. My hidden gem, that's a very interesting one. Somewhere that people, well, it's not really hidden now. I love Sardinia. Mm -hmm. When I went there, it was a hidden gem. Sicily, also. Sicily is a bit of a hidden gem. Mm. Um, where would another hidden gem be? Mexico. There are parts of Mexico that people, everyone goes to the seaside resorts in Mexico, and the silver cities and all that. That's quite fun. People are not going to Mexico now because they think about the troubles. Go everywhere. Can I tell you, I went to Sri Lanka when there was apparently a civil war going on. You know, just go there, explore. Don't go there if the foreign office says don't go there. But unless they're saying definitely don't go there, go there. Bear in mind, you know, I've lived in the United Kingdom since the beginning of the 1950s. I used to go to Northern Ireland at the time of the troubles. Oh, I'll tell you a hidden gem. Belfast in Northern Ireland one of the most beautiful, culturally interesting cities in the British Isles. Or oh, another one, Swansea. Swansea in never South Wales. Never been to Wales. Swansea, there right? Add that to the list. So in contrast, Chapter 6 is the place you'd never go back to. Are there any? I no. Know. no. I'd love to go back anywhere. And I really mean that. Mm. And the reason I meant Swansea, and it, I wasn't just being facetious, I think some of the best places are the places closest to home. Everywhere is worth going back to. Because first time round, you may have been a bit nervous. First time I went to Manhattan, New York, it was a bit frightening. A bit overwhelming. Yeah, yeah. go back. Yeah. There's, there's nowhere that isn't worth going to. Chapter seven is your next big adventure. I don't know where my... Well, funnily enough, my next big adventure will be within the United Kingdom. Yeah. Uh, not that I'm jaded about flying, but I have been everywhere. I've been to... I mean, every European country. I loved, I've been to Russia. I loved going to Russia. I've been to Russia under communist rule. Mm -hmm. I went there, you know, before Brezhnev, when people like Khrushchev were around. Um, I've been behind when there was the Berlin Wall. I went to East Berlin when there was the Berlin Wall. Through the, I mean, and I genuinely 
Before the Berlin Wall came down, I had a pen friend in East Germany who collected bears. I went to the Berlin Wall and I threw a teddy bear over the Berlin Wall and oh. was stopped by soldiers on, on the American side. Oh said, you can't goodness. do that, you can't do that. But the other side, the guy got it. He knew a soldier in East Germany who managed to get the bear, and I, I smuggled a bear into East Germany. What a story. It is quite a story. Yeah. So I've been very privileged, very blessed. Russia, I love. The trip from Moscow to what used to be called Leningrad, now St. Petersburg, along the river. I've been on canal trips. Fantastic. Mm. It's so... It, the world is so wonderful. You must do, if you haven't done it yet, the Mekong Delta. Have you done that? No, Vietnam, it's on, you haven't, it's on of my course, bucket Holly, list. You're so young. Um, but going... Vietnam and Cambodia, it's so extraordinary. My children went to Vietnam as a, for, for pleasure. It's places where people go now for holiday, for cruises. <laughs> Vietnam. Mm. When I was young, it was the Vietnam War. Of course. And they do still have there museums that remind you of yes. the horrors of that. So there's nowhere that I wouldn't go back to. But if I, my, my next trip, probably along a canal somewhere in England. Gorgeous. So finally, what's this? That is chapter eight, and that is what is at the top of your bucket list. My bucket list? I want to go to heaven. I want to go to heaven. I don't know if there are flights. I've discussed this with Richard Branson. <laughs> you may think this is a joke, but Richard Branson, when he was 16 and I was 17, uh, I knew him and he wrote to me and we got together and he said, we should go into business together. And the plan was we're going to launch a series of magazines together. And I looked at Richard, who looked like a sort of straggly monkey in those days, had a long hair and a sort of very rangy fellow. And I thought, you're going nowhere. And I said to him, Richard, you're going no You're not even going to university. I'm going places. And uh, anyway, he went places. I went to different places. And um, well done him. He's brilliant. He offered to take me to the moon or at right. least out into space. Yeah. Because I genuinely do know him. And I said, no, thank you. Um, but I, seriously, when I was writing one of these Oscar Wilde murder mysteries, went to the Vatican and arranged a private visit in the Vatican into the Pope's, the papal apartments. I have seen the papal slippers. I have been inside the back room of the Sistine Chapel. And that's as close to heaven as I have got in yeah. this world. Yeah. And I would like to go to heaven, please, because I want to meet the people who are up there. Most of all, I want to meet William Shakespeare, the greatest poet who ever lived, about whom we know very little. And I want to discover how William Shakespeare, we know so little about him, how come he knows everything about us. Mm. Giles Randwith, those are your travel diaries. What a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Holly. That was Giles Brandreth. His new book, Dancing by the Light of the Moon, over 250 poems to read, relish and recite, is out now. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then please do subscribe, rate and review. I'd love to hear from you. And come and find me on Instagram. I'm at Holly Rubenstein. Catch you next time for another episode of The Travel Diaries. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. 
It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos visiting some places that have been on my bucket list and while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do. Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.